Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, during a traffic stop, a Mountie beats up the priest who abused him as a boy. It leads a reporter on a personal journey into the generational impact of Canada's residential schools for Indigenous children. We'll talk about season two of Connie Walker's Stolen, Surviving St. Michael's. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. Laura, how are you faring? Well, I'm I'm soldiering on here, Rebecca. Uh, I have COVID and, you know, my voice has gone a little bit, but... I'm thankful that I am vaccinated and boosted because I'm sure it could have been a lot worse and it wasn't super fun the first two days, but trashy TV Mm. and I are now like this. I watched a Hallmark movie. Nice. So are you feeling a lot better between uh, Monday's show and this show? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> since uh, the five minutes have passed since we started taping the yeah. second show. Yes. Um, I, but I have almost finished the pot of tea I made. So, uh, yes. you know, yes. I have Kevin, that going Kevin for me. hates it when we pull the curtain back, but we do tape both these shows consecutively. So <laughs> Laura has not had time to rest and recuperate between. We're no. just making her do both at the same time. I'm still wearing my cherry pajamas. Yep. Yeah, we really appreciate you being here, Laura. <laughs> Um, And finally with us, our resident Doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, one of our favorite men in the world, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Toby, what team shirt are you wearing right now? I see you on video. It looks like a- Is that Mexico or something? It's actually, uh, it's Bulgaria. Ooh. My dad and my mom were uh, doing a- Danube river trip and my dad picked it up for me somewhere in Bulgaria. Nice. There's other news in Toby Ball land though, right? Do you have any big announcements you want to share with our crowd? Yeah. Well, I um I am no longer have a 9 to 5 job. <gasps> I have left and I am just doing podcasting all the freaking time. Yeah. Wow. Toby. Congratulations, are... Toby. Thanks. Yeah. Toby's going to be the most famous podcaster of all of us. Toby has no excuse for not watching or listening to all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Now. Yeah. Well, so what's going on? 
Well, I've got I've got some projects that I, I can't reveal at the moment, but mm. uh, you know, a few months down the line, I will have a few things coming out that I'm excited about. And yeah, so it's just that's going to be my uh, that's going to be my nine to five starting today, actually. Well, Toby, I have some bad news for you. It is not actually nine to five. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, no, I mean, I, I nine to five in air quotes. It's yeah. actually sometimes it's like twenty four seven. Sometimes, sometimes it's like two to ten. Sometimes it's like nine to one, and then like nothing for four days, and you get really worried, and then it's like twelve days in a row of like six to six, right, mm-hmm. Kevin? Yeah, yeah. So put your notions of nine to five behind, but yeah. I am very, very, very excited for you because I will say ever since Kevin got to leave his nine to five, I have been very, very envious of him because it's it's really yeah. exciting. It's really exciting. And I'm, I'm we're really proud of you and happy for you. And Yeah, it's great. Guess it means there's going to be 20 more seasons of Strange Arrivals. <laughs> yes, 35. Strange Arrivals nonstop. <laughs> I can't wait for the Amityville Horror House season of Strange Arrivals. Oh, my God. I should do a Haunted House themed podcast. You should do a Haunted House themed. OK, so I don't know if you guys ever watch Ghost Adventures. Uh, it is sure the don't. St- Stupid ass History Channel show that um, Kevin's daughter and my younger son Teddy bonded over when they were young, much younger. This was the thing. This and water slides was the yeah. thing that like that went from them being kind of chilly to each other to them being best friends. Was their love of water slides and their love of ghost adventures, which is one of those shows where like a, a team of, of quote paranormal experts goes into an allegedly haunted place, puts out like some sort of recording device and captures audio that sounds like get out does it sound like that no kevin it sounds like and then they put it through a filter and then you and then they put words on the screen over this sounds like you should go get yourself something to eat (laughs) exactly (laughs) anyway i'm a scary ghost (laughs) i think that should be the next season of strange arrivals is you going into scary houses and and me just going into scary houses and freaking myself out I will totally scream. Yeah. I think that would be the next season of Strange Arrivals. I'm with Toby Ball and the scary cat detective. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I screamed recently. I was at someone's house, and I was, like, looking. There was a bird's nest on the porch. And I was like, oh, is that a bird up there? And then, of course, the bird freaked out because it saw me and flew at me. And I went, ah! Yeah. And they were like, they're like, it's a bird. And I'm like, I know, but it, I didn't expect it to fly at my head. You should yeah, have seen. You don't expect animals to like go after you. You should have seen yeah. what happened to me when a frog jumped out of a watering can when I was watering a plant last year. It was terrible. Oh my God. And then it got behind the couch and it was like, if I didn't find it, we were going to have to move. That's right. It was like the Amityville horror people would have stayed longer. Correct. Than Rebecca was with the frog Correct. if I couldn't coax it uh, out because i was like that frog is gonna die behind our couch and then we're gonna be smelling the frog for the next no six you were was gonna come out at some time and jump on your foot i was worried about both things but one of your dogs eat it uh, mm. eh. i have to tell you i feel your pain rebecca because pippin the naughty kitten brought a like huge ass frog in from the catio this week and like brought it down to me and like delivered it to me and I was like, and it was like huge. And I'm like, oh my God, thank God. Same thing. Because if I had got up in the middle of the night, I think I would have like, I, I don't even know what would have happened yeah. if I had stepped on that thing. Yeah. I, it it would have been the end of me. Terrifying. Yes. All right. So <laughs> we live <laughs> we live exciting lives. In we New do. Hampshire. This is this is the country lifestyle. People who are listening in like New York are like, we've got pizza rats. What the fuck are you guys talking about? Yeah, we got a frog out of my house. And uh, I lost my mind. All right. So Kevin, uh, this is obviously our Thursday drop of our podcast. What is coming up on next Monday's show? Next Monday, we're going to be talking about HBO's adaptation of 
The Staircase. What's that? No, the Staircase? You never heard of it? <laughs> the Staircase, a.k.a. The Citizen Kane of True Crime. So yeah. HBO has made a fictionalized version of that, a scripted version, starring my favorite Mr. Darcy, Colin Firth, correct? Correct. And Tony Collette, correct? Correct. All right. Well, we're looking forward to talking about that. It has been the talk of Twitter for the last few weeks, and that is going to be the subject of next show. All right. So one last quick thing before we get into the subject of yeah. this episode. This Saturday, Lara Bricker, one final reminder, I will be talking to author Elon Green in your quaint AF town at Water Street Bookstore at 7 p.m. in Exeter, New Hampshire. Uh, We'll be talking about his book, Last Call, at a book event there at Water Street Bookstore. Lara Bricker, you will be there, right? I will be there. Yes, I will be. And Toby Ball might be there, right, Toby Ball? Yeah, I think so. And then after that book event, Laura Bricker and I have talked about perhaps bringing a couple bottles of wine to the bookstore if they let us do that. Mm-hmm. And if any Crime Writers On fans show up, hanging out for like, I don't know, a few minutes afterwards and chatting with yeah. our fans. So we would like to invite anybody who has read Elon Green's book or who would like to chat with us afterwards to show up. I would highly recommend reading Elon's book. It is fantastic. One of the best true crime books I have read. Actually, I listened to it in a really long time. So please come meet us in Exeter at Water Street Bookstore this Saturday, June 4th at 7 p.m. All right. So, Kevin, I'd like to get into the subject of tonight's podcast. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going to drop that first clip right now. One night in the late 1970s, something did happen. Two men met out here in the darkness. Their chance encounter felt like fate because they had met before, but under very different circumstances. On a routine traffic stop in Saskatchewan, a Mountie recognized the driver as the priest who abused him as a child. The officer beat him up, but the priest never reported the attack and the Mountie kept the incident to himself for decades. You know, he was abused physically. He was abused, like, sexually. That part he never really talked about. But I know it happened because he told me it happened. That officer was the late father of reporter Connie Walker. She wanted to know more about her Cree family's experiences with Canadian residential schools. St. Michael's School not only tried to expunge the children's Indigenous culture, but also subjected them to physical and sexual abuse. You know, those nuns and those priests, they called us savages. I think there's something wrong with this picture. Who were the savages here? We were the ones that were abused. We were the ones that were were hit, sexually abused, emotionally hurt, you know? From Gimlet Media and exclusively on Spotify, Stolen, Surviving St. Michael's, is Connie Walker's most personal investigation yet. In his study on intergenerational trauma, Connie gives voice to many of the victims of systemic abuse while she seeks out the priest who abused her dad. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from season two of Stolen. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Lara Bricker, so we've heard Connie Walker now. I believe this is the fourth serialized story. We've heard her report, right? Um, Yes. Every time we hear her do something, it seems to go to a different layer of depth. Yes. What do you think here? Are we experiencing yet another layer of depth of Connie Walker's journalism? Oh, absolutely. Because I just feel like the first time we heard her, we realized, okay, this is somebody that's reporting on the indigenous community 
who is part of that community, who has relatives and friends and people that they know. And each time we hear another story, we hear because of that, the level of trust that people have in her and the way that they open up to her to share their stories that they wouldn't necessarily share with somebody else. And I think that that is giving us just not only a depth of reporting in terms of the information that is coming out, but also Connie's bringing her understanding and her own personal place in that community to this reporting. So it's just, it's taking it to another level. And this has been circling around. First, it was, you know, the missing Indigenous women. And we've been hearing about these residential schools for a while now. And now we're hearing the personal story of what happened at those schools affected her family and and her own quest, which I think is really interesting to see her putting herself really into the story in that way and sort of starting and opening up this story and the way that she's telling it with this this very, like the window on herself and then expanding her lens. The thing that occurs to me, Kevin, is that obviously this is a first person in somewhat uh, story for mm-hmm. Connie Walker, yep. right? She's part of the story. She's in the story. She's also revealing a tremendous amount immediately about the trauma of her own childhood, right? As she starts reporting the story. There's no way she can't because part of the story is the trauma she experienced at the hands of her father whose story she is trying to tell. What do you think about that beginning to the story? Because it can be difficult. And for some journalists, it would... Not discredit the story, but it would, as as a listener or a reader, sort of make you like kind of off balance. But I didn't feel that way listening to this at all. Yeah, I mean, at its basic level, the story has a great hook, right, to start with. That it's this incident between a police officer and a motorist and what was really happening there. You know, then you, you have two people that go in different directions and... You know, what about their lives? How did they get to that point, to that that incident on the side of the road? And what did that say about the rest of their lives? We have had hosts that do first-person reporting, but few of them have ever been this personal or introspective. I think maybe uh, the ballad of Billy Balls kind of came close to that. I mean, that was, you know, had the same sort of, you know, father-searching theme. But this time it's tied to a much more substantive, thematic anchor when we're talking about these residential schools and she'd be the perfect person to do this even if it wasn't her father if it was a stranger and the fact that it was her father and it's an opportunity for her to bring us along her journey to learn more about her family and the pain that they had this is something special yeah what do you think about the intimacy of this podcast toby because you know connie is all of her podcasts have been really intimate she's always been reporting on a community that she's familiar with she does not shy away from playing extended tape of her conversations with other people she's one of the only journalists we've ever listened to where that is actually interesting because her discovery and her conversations are at least to me like i want to hear the whole thing but this is so unbelievably personal and intimate and that is where she's beginning. I'm curious to know your thoughts about that. Yeah, I, I I agree. The idea of starting off with her father and using his attack on that priest who he pulls over is kind of a, is an interesting entry point. But you, she sort of she starts with that and her experience with her father, and then expands out to sort of her extended family. 
and the people of the generation older than her, who I think all went to the same residential school. Is that right? Or most of them did. And then from there, like after kind of establishing, you know, sort of what the what the residential schools are, are about and the effect that it's had on her family, she then expands again to bring in other voices. And yeah, I, you know, I don't know how she does it. I mean, I think part of it is that she's just like a very sort of empathetic interviewer, but she, she gets people to really be open with her. And yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, she does play these extended periods of tape. And I, I think it just gives you such an interesting and, and sort of full picture of these different personalities, like lives they've led. And then the effects, you know, as you find out, just horribly traumatic experiences that they have as children, like as young as five and six. It's a great, great podcast. It's it's a tough listen in terms of sort of emotionally taking in what these stories are. I mean, this is like a widespread thing that was the indigenous community was singled out for. Yeah. You know, you know, what's amazing to me is that one of the reasons why I think her extended periods of tape work, I mean, they work on several levels. I mean, we'll talk about episode four in a little bit which is a very different kind of episode than anything else we've ever listened to, frankly. But one of the reasons why her extended lengths of tape work when she's interviewing people and learning things is that we are learning them with her because she's doing actual investigation in real time and we're hearing it happen. One of the great scenes that happens in this podcast where that happens is in the library where she's actually looking through those records and finding the photographs. Father Gauthier has a lot of photos of himself. Looks like he's in play. Playing a cowboy. Oh my god. What is that a picture of? Him walking down the street giving a piggyback to a native kid? It's weird. That being said, Laura Bricker, Connie mm-hmm. Walker, I will say, is an unbelievable journalist in this one regard. For many of her projects, She sets out with a mystery that seems needle in a haystack, near impossible, and then seems to the cut to the quick and get very freaking close to the answer very quickly, right? So this was like at the episode, the end of episode, like what, two? Mm -hmm. Then she's like down to two guys. It's like I, I, her her brother posts this very vague thing on Facebook, and I'm thinking like I don't know, is this thing even true? Who knows? I think Connie's off her game. We're at episode four, and she still hasn't found the priest yet. Yeah, but she's down to it, right? It's like it's like she's like let me stretch because you know what she. It's it's like you know uh, what was the season two of Missing and Murdered, right? Finding Cleo, right? Like we found Cleo, so it's like she's unbelievable. Like and just in terms of like landing the plane level of journalism that we have here, right? So it's not just a narrative that we know isn't going to go anywhere, right, yeah. Laura? Oh, yeah. And I feel like it is it is going somewhere. And I feel like we hear right away when they're like, is it this person? Or, do you know who it is when she's talking to that one guy? And he's like, I do, but I'm not going to say. And she's like, is it father so-and-so? And he's like, yep. Because I, I think I know who it is. But, I, you know, it's not, I'm not going to say it on this thing. Eugene points to the microphone sitting between us on the table, and I ask the question I've been waiting to ask since we sat down. Do you think it could be Father Gauthier? Yeah, actually just what killed Father Gauthier. 
that was the guy that was like cautioning her about sort of like asking too much or asking too like getting don't too play involved. With it. Yep. Don't yeah, don't play with it. Eugene. Don't open the, you know, and I thought that was a really interesting character because listening to that interview, you could see that there was nobody else that was going to get that story from him that he was telling Connie and the amount of trust that he placed in her to let her record that. Cause he said, you've got that thing on. Of course he was talking about whatever she was using to record, but you know, he was somebody that was just intimately involved with not only people that had been victims, but just everything that was happening with that. That was somebody that really knew the story. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be really powerful having now heard from the victims to hear the other side of this when I'm sure she's going to find some people from that school to talk to. I'm sure she's already found them. Like, who am I kidding? Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. All right, Kevin, uh, should we pause the show for a moment? And yeah, yeah, do I'm, some I'm doing the timeout thing business, with my hands. Like, not like a dog does some business, but like how we do some business. I don't want to know about that either. Like, do your business. Like we said to our dogs, do your business. It's not like that. It's like, Kevin, do your business. You know, I think some people would say it's very similar. Kevin, do your business. Can I drop? Yeah. Uh, Kevin, do your business. Oh, way to change the mood of the entire discussion. Walk in a circle, Kevin. Do your business. Facing north. (laughs) Uh, Right now on uh, Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Sign up. One of the things that you can get, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club and Toby, can you tell everybody what book is coming up next so they can start their summer reading, get their homework done? Okay, so there's a brief hiatus uh, for a couple months, and then we'll be coming back in August. And the book is When the Moon Turns to Blood by Leah Satilli. Um, I don't know if it's actually out yet. I think it comes out sometime in June. So, uh, you know, you can look it up on the internet. But that will be the August book. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. Mm. Rebecca, did Toby put in a request for time off from Deep Dive? Uh, he has to call HR for that, and then HR I don't will think let we've me know. Cleared that? I have not cleared it, but I, you know, I sometimes don't get the no memo from HR right away. That was kind of a unilateral decision. Sometimes there's a delay. Laura, Laura and I might be going on strike. This <laughs> kind of management pressure continues. <laughs> the great resignation. The great resignation. Yeah. It's crime writers on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I guess we'll see everybody on uh, These Are Their Stories instead. Uh, right now, 
We've got a new episode that dropped yesterday, and it is the SVU Season 5, Episode 19. Sick! This is the one where they've got a, a billionaire toy mm. mogul who brings his his young friends back to the special room and bad yes. things happen. Oh, what could it possibly be about? It's not Michael Jackson nope. at all. Nope, But then in the end, there's this crazy twist where uh, Cindy Williams, who is from Laverne and Shirley, yes. she's grandmother of a child who has leukemia, but she doesn't have cancer. It's Munchausen by proxy. It's nuts. And it's typical. Bananas. And we have a great guest on that one. Yeah, he, you know what, what podcast he's from, guys? He's from an SVU podcast. It's called Munch My Benson. <laughs> so, Kevin, uh, before we end the business section and before you start walking in that circle doing your business, do mm-hmm. we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Cat Stratter and Mary Locke. Mm. Bless you. Bless you. And thank you for being on our Patreon, everyone who is there. Go to our website, sign up for our free newsletter, check out everything that's going on. And uh, Kevin, does that end the business section? Thus ends the business section. I'm going to fade that music out right now. All right, so Kevin, Laura was just talking about that conversation that Connie has with her father's friend, Eugene. That was an incredible scene. They have it outdoors at a busy roadside restaurant, right? We hear cars yeah. zipping by, and he gives her a limited period of time to talk. We, I kind of feel the clock ticking during this conversation, right? And he's telling her a lot of things, but she has questions for him. And he is waving her off of this story again and again, even as he's giving her incredible details that include him at one point holding one of these priests over the balcony. Right, and right. And himself committing acts of violence and revenge against one of these priests. And he gives her a warning, right? Well, I don't know if a warning or advice or whatever it is, but the way he phrased it is really so powerful. He said, don't play with this. We don't profit here from it. You know, we take care of it, but we have to pass it down. Use this in a good way. Don't play with this, you know. And I see people playing with it. You know, I think that's the name of the episode as well. Don't play with this. It was probably the most honest rebuke that you could give a reporter as opposed to don't go there or you've got no right or anything like that. It can be said of all of us. We tell stories about murder and mayhem and not everybody appreciates that. But when he says don't play with this, to put it that way, like playing with it makes it seem more like some kind of black magic or something that you're toying with, something that could blow up that you can't control. To put it like that, it's very powerful. It means that, you know, that you have, there's kind of an accusation that you have a responsibility to not break the glass pane here. So I don't know. I just, the, the way that he said that, not as an admonition, but just to sort of give her stern advice you don't want to play with this. Don't play with this. Toby, Father Gautier is sort of at the center of this conversation with her conversation with Eugene. She's He's one of the two priests that sort of is at the center of this investigation at this point in the podcast. And Eugene tells this story about his confrontation with this priest at this, I guess it's this like, what, party or reunion, uh, reunion or something, yeah. or yeah. yeah, it's a residential school reunion. Exactly. And Who the hell would want to go to that? 
Well, it's sort of it like sounds a, sad. You've you've a, shared <laughs> shared traumatic experience. Yeah, but you know, after this scene at the library, which I would love to hear your thoughts on too, when you hear all of these different takes on these priests, can you just talk a little bit about like these different takes we hear from all these different characters in the podcast? Because there are many, and it's like the the role that these men play in these people's lives, like the perspectives are pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, there's, I guess there's a couple different things. And one is sort of what you learn factually about them. Father Gautier in particular, who is clearly a monster. A, a couple people alleged that he sexually abused them. You know, he sort of pointed out again and again and again as being a bad guy. And they also have, you know, they bring up some weird stuff about him. Like he has this quote where he said about being a priest, you are eaten by others every day. Sometimes it is pleasant. Sometimes it is unpleasant, which is just like, I don't know if I have much of an interpretation of that, but it just seems like kind of a strange way to characterize your work as like, you know, and then he was getting eaten by God. worms. So, you know, maybe he yeah. knew what was going on. Well, but that's the other thing. It's like he comes. Yeah. So there's that. But then there's also when Eugene's asked about whether Gautier should be, you know, in jail or punished. And he basically says no. Like at this point, like what's what's the point? And he wouldn't want to be in jail if he was really old and, and all this. And then one of Connie's relatives says that he was a good priest. Like, she thought he was a good priest despite all these other things. But then she also tells the story about how he goes off, he goes away and then comes back and he's infested with worms that are crawling out of his body, which, you know, seems like such an incredible metaphor that that you wonder Mm. if it could possibly be like, it's quite a, it's quite a visual. What did you make of that? I'm serious. I'm serious. What did you make of that? I had a couple thoughts. One of them was tapeworm. Yeah. One of them was hookworm. Like, cause you know, tapeworm, they, the way they do it is they like put a stick and they actually yeah. grind the worm uh, up. Yeah. And you try act- not to break it cause exactly. that's problems. And then there's also like, um, the worm that's bot fly, like come out of your face. Another one yeah. is like the hookworms that are in your feet. Like I actually was thinking like he may have come back with that some sort of oh, thing. Yeah. But he also, what was it? They said it was a motorcycle accident. He landed in a leper colony. Like did he have leprosy? Like I was like, what was that? It wasn't good, whatever it was. Yeah, <laughs> was it? Yeah, was it a manifestation of just like his spiritual rot? That no. She re- yeah, no. no. It was no. Probably- it was definitely like he got some kind of infestation. But I could see like if you knew the guy, and then he shows up, and he's like dripping worms, that you would be like, okay, well, that's you know, that's karma or a metaphor for your soul or something that's just like completely apt. Yeah. It's like the opposite of the picture of Dorian Gray, right? It's like you're wearing your sins all over you for everybody to see. Okay, so I'd like to talk about episode four, because episode four is really unlike anything I've heard before. It is an extended montage of testimonials of victims of residential schools. And the episode is unrelenting and unapologetic about stringing these together. And one of the things that I find really stunning about it is that not only is it just like beautifully done and captivating and not repetitive, but many of the stories serve to corroborate other stories that we hear sort of in order in the episode. Laura, what did you think when you listened to this? I mean, aside from the fact that it was obviously a difficult listen, when you were hearing these stories and sort of hearing the way it was strung together, what what were your reactions? It was an intense and very emotional episode. And 
for me, every time I hear the stories about how, you know, young children were basically, you know, taken away from their families to these schools and they were not allowed to speak Cree. And if they got caught speaking Cree to each other, like they would pull out the strap. and When they and first beat them. got there and they didn't and they even were speak little, English. Yeah. And they didn't know how to speak English. And it was just, I mean, it was like, these are children. And hearing all of them with these stories, it's just horrific. And I was glad that we got to hear so many different stories and that they all did sort of tie into each other that they, you know, it's like this story tied into that one, like very similar things were happening to a lot of people. And I started thinking about sort of like the bigger picture of like these residential schools, which we've heard Connie report on before. And like every new podcast and reporting project is like another bite at the apple to expose them and get to like the core of everything bad that has happened there. But I wonder how long is it going to take? Because it just seems like so much awful, awful, horrible abuse and just awful stuff happened. Father Gucci, I remember him also. Yeah. How do you remember him? Oh, uh, Father Gucci? Yeah. Uh, he, he took part in some of the uh, punishments that we used to get there. Uh, even though I, I, as, we're, as we're talking here, I've got a lump in my throat. It was good to hear that. And I think now with those stories sort of at the front of your mind going forward into the next step of like confronting the people who were there when that happened, that didn't stop it. For me anyway, I'm going to be like, fuck right, take them down. Because you, you feel so helpless listening to the stories of what these children went through. I mean, Toby, there's a tremendous amount of inhumanity that was just its very, very, very well documented in this episode, right? Yeah. And she she brings this up. I don't know if she brings it up in episode four or episode three before, but, you know, that generation's getting older and it's the chance to document what happened. And it's just, you know, like you're right. It's, it's not repetitive in any way. There's not 10 seconds of this that isn't riveting. But the sort of shared, you know, trauma of the experience, how young some of these kids were. Years ago, I was doing some research on Indian boarding schools in the U.S., but this was like in the 1800s and stuff. And what the sort of motto was, was kill the Indian to save the man, which is essentially what's happening here. I mean, this is, it's cultural genocide, right? I mean, that's exactly yeah. what they're trying to do is they're trying to wipe out that culture and, you know, sort of quote unquote, assimilate these kids into English speaking or French speaking Canadian culture. And it's devastating. And I think it's, it's really important. It's a lot different than anything else we've heard. But again, I, you know, I, I think people need to hear it. Definitely. Kevin, what do you think about episode four? Cause it's just in terms of the cadence, in terms of the the way it was put together narratively, it is a montage for like 80%. Yeah. I mean, it's it's both moving and marvelous. Connie really kind of, for the most part, stays out of the way, right? A couple of times you hear her kind of gently probe with, with a follow-up, but mostly she went into it sort of as she stated at the end of episode three that she wanted to have the victims just tell their stories. And- for some reason, even though that's what it is, it doesn't feel out of place in this series, although in sort of a, a format style, it's it's very different. And I haven't heard episode five yet, but I'm assuming that it kind of dips back into 
Connie's news gathering that we've been going along. But yeah, it's just, it really was so moving. And, and they were able to just kind of tell their own stories. It wasn't lip service, but at the same time, it also advanced the story through the things that they said. They all provided little clues about the different priests involved and the things that happened to them. Also, you know, kind of what Toby said, something struck me was that when we hear the, their names later on, how many of them have anglicized names? You know, they, they aren't today using names that were given to them by their indigenous culture. They have, you know, names that were likely thrust upon them by the institution or other means interfering with their ability to thrive as First Nation people. So the the theme that runs through all of Connie's series, whether it's about, you know, kidnapping and murder or it's about systemic abuse at these residential schools, it has to do with the way that other people devalue the lives of indigenous people and what they are able to achieve when they dehumanize them. They give them I freaking numbers. Numbers. Yep. That's there I you heard go. they remembered the numbers of other kids that they were there with. They remember their own numbers. They remember the numbers of other kids that they were there with. It's the Holocaust, right? What yeah, I yeah. what I thought was so stunning about this episode and the reason why it deserved to go on as long as it did or even longer is that these are stories that have not been told before and it's like you know, it's not like a Holocaust story or a story about a genocide that we know about doesn't deserve to also be told. But this is one we don't know about. And this is not generations and generations ago. What was the last residential school closed? We heard in the last podcast, what, like in the 90s? Like it's it's insane, like how recent this history was. Children being given numbers, children being starved children being beaten for crying when they're given the news that their grandparents died you know children being beaten for not understanding a language that they've never heard before ripped away from their families at five and six years old and then their parents being threatened with arrest if they didn't let them go like i just thought the whole episode was stunning the one thing that was so beautifully done there was a musician at the end who did a song and then it was orchestrated at the end. Her brother, Connie's brother. So yeah. beautifully. But the way that they sort of put it together with orchestration at the end was just incredibly moving. Kevin, you sent me a note and I'm going to read it on your behalf. Like, I do think that this podcast is an important piece of history. I really do. I think it's a documentation and a piece of history that is is really something to behold. I really, mm -hmm. really yeah. do. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. All right, so I think we should let our listeners know, should they check out Connie Walker's new podcast for Gimlet? It is a Spotify exclusive Stolen, Surviving St. Michael's. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? Um, Big thumbs up. I love anything that Connie Walker brings her voice and her reporting and her humanity to is something that I want to listen to. And this, I just feel like, takes it to the next level. It was heartbreaking to hear the stories of what happened to children in these residential schools. It was rage-inducing for me. Even though I'm sick, I was still feeling rage from my couch listening to this. But I just think that we have voices in this that we wouldn't necessarily hear if it wasn't Connie that was doing the reporting, which is bringing a level of credibility and authenticity and depth to the reporting that is bringing just this, this really, really important story to light. And I'm eager to see where it goes from here. So it's a big thumbs up. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Stolen Surviving St. Michael's? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big thumbs up too. Uh, you know, there's a handful of, of podcasters who when they have something new coming out, I sort of perk up and pay attention and uh, Connie's definitely one of those. It, it's just there's it's incredible on a bunch of different levels, uh, both as sort of the story of her family and then sort of the the sort of oral history stuff that she does, particularly in episode four, is really it should be required listening for anybody who's got any interest in this at all, or and I think probably just anybody because it is as you were saying during the main review, Rebecca. I mean, this is not distant history. This happened fairly recently. The effects of it are still being felt. It's it's really, really good. So a huge thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. There is a reporter out there that does a better job covering this issue, but I don't know what her name is. <laughs> and there is a story out there that goes into more detail, is more touching, more impactful, covers more ground, but I can't tell you what it's called. This is just a touching masterpiece. I sent Connie an email saying, you owe me a big box of tissues, a giant bar of soap to scrub my skin, and some blood pressure medicine. Uh, This has everything. Toby's right. I mean, there's just a couple of people that are just unique in their talent and the way that they approach things. This is just such magic that we have a story that is this important that touches somebody who can tell a story this well in this kind of way, right? This is just like the stars aligning here for what could be a classic, classic podcast. The whole issue in Canada of residential schools is having its George Floyd moment, right? It's becoming something that we're not just thinking about it in the background. We're actively looking at it. And this kind of systemic abuse It's just 
an amazing piece of journalism that looks at intergenerational trauma and tells little stories in big ways and big stories in small, intimate ways. It's I couldn't I couldn't put a thumb high enough for this. It's a big thumbs up. Yeah, me too. We're really on a roll, right? With some really great content lately. Like I am just so excited about the things we've been listening to lately. And, you know, we reviewed Will Be Wild last week mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, this is going to be in my top 10. Yeah, this is also going to be in my top 10 of this year. Like, no doubt this podcast is Excellent. And this is another great example of something that, you know, it's easy to say, like, this is a hard listen. It's also a good listen. Like, it's freaking good. Yeah. Like, it's well made. It's beautifully produced. Like, one thing that we didn't even talk about is just like how gorgeously delivered it is. Um, you know that I do not talk about people's voices. I do not. But if I could listen to one person's voice for the rest of my life, it would be Connie Walker's voice. Like one, one thing that I love about the way that she delivers her reporting is that she is the same person in her narration as she mm -hmm. is in her interview tape, as she is in the field. So what you feel and hear with her, which is singular, and you do not hear this with everyone. And I encourage listeners who listen to narrative journalism to pay attention to this because it's something that I think really shows who a journalist is in their heart and who they are in terms of just like how they deliver their stuff. When you hear that somebody is exactly the same person when they're talking to their subjects, whether that subject is a stranger, whether that subject is someone they're really pushing on and interrogating, and that person is the, sounds the same when they are talking to you in a microphone, that is like legit. That is a legit voice in the medium. And there's no one more legit than Connie Walker at what we do. So, yeah, I think this is the best work we've heard from her. And that is saying a lot. Huge, huge thumbs up for me for stolen surviving St. Michael's. Like all of you said, I can't say enough good things about it. And I'm just going to leave it there. You know how Spotify just gave Conan O'Brien $150 million? Yeah. Should have been $149 million. And they should give Connie Walker a million fucking dollars. How about give Conan American dollars, by the way, Connie. American dollars. How about, give how about flip that? Flip it. Flip it. I don't I don't know if Connie could do a, a weekly show forever. <laughs> she needs some time to do that quality news gathering. That's true. That's true. Although, by the way, whatever car she was in recording her tape, really quiet. Very impressed by yeah, that. Yeah, she's got, probably got some good wheels now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do. Hold on just a minute and I will find it. Yes, we have a cat of the week this week. It's actually a dog. <gasps> Finally, Rebecca. For oh, you. God. No more ugly cats. No more smelly cats. No more butt shaved, shaved butt cats. cats. Just, yeah. just, it's just a one week hiatus for cats. We're bringing a dog in for one week. Uh, Barbara Roseman would like to nominate Rosie Dog for cat of the week. Rosie has been diagnosed with a probable brain tumor. Oh, that God. Is it's a sad dog of the week. Rapidly, we got her from a shelter at about 12 weeks old. I don't old like that. Have had a glorious like 11 and a half years. We had no idea what she might be until we read about puggles. And now the average puggle is less than 25 pounds, but Rosie is around 40. Good for Rosie. But in every other respect, her mix of pug and beagle shines through. It must have been a larger than normal beagle involved. Wink, wink. Oh. Uh, we love her. We will love her to the end. We'll miss her terribly, as will her sister Martha, a year younger and from a different shelter. 
And Joyce and pics of Rosie and Martha being good dogs together. And Rosie is very cute. So I'm really sorry, Barbara. And I hope that Rosie enjoys uh, some good time with you all and you have a good goodbye. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I know. That is not acceptable. Rosie, come on. There can be a miracle for Rosie. Is there a GoFundMe for Rosie that we can share? Please send it to me. Yes, yes. Uh, All Uh, right. Laura Bricker, if anyone would like to set up a GoFundMe for Rosie and have you share that on Twitter. No, I'm I'm just kidding. Maybe that's Uh, not what her owners want. But uh, anyway, if folks would like to reach out to you on Twitter and send you their animals, Maybe they're healthy animals next time to yes. be cat of the week or dog of the week, only because I can't take it. It's so freaking sad. How can they find you on Twitter? And they can find me at Laura Bricker. And of course, you can also email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com or submit your pets on our Facebook group. That's how we get many of our pets to be cat of the week. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and compliment you on your Bulgarian football jersey. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and say, no, there is no better reporter and there is no better story than Connie Walker and the story she is telling. How can they find you on Twitter? I don't think you got the point of the syntax. I did. I got it. God damn it, Rebecca. Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. Just look for us on Facebook. Go to our page. Click join the group. We'll let you in if you answer like at least one of those questions. Support the show on Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. You'll get all the incredible content we make back there. It is really, really good. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very, very smart college graduate, Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin P. Flynn. By the way, that I mentioned, he's also very handsome. Yeah. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where our aunties are always, always, always welcome. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Wow. Look at that. Look it's at like that. It's like a baby. beer stein. It's like a beer stein teapot. I'm like, I broke it out because I've been drinking tea like a mad woman. Well, you sound good. Yeah, I sound better than I did, which is a relief. Because the first couple of days, I sounded like I smoked like five packs of cigarettes. You did, though. Sexy. I did. Yeah, I did. Totally. And you sounded like Donnie Wahlberg in the Very Scary <laughs> Little Podcast. And here's something you're really not going to believe. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever he says. You heard that right. <laughs> Partners in Crime Media. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.